Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday morning, October 10th, 2017. It is Mike Lyon coming to you live as we do every morning with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. And unfortunately, it is time to put a cap on the season of the Boston Red Sox. I told you yesterday, I hoped we were going to be here this morning talking about uh, the Game 5 of the ALDS series against Houston. And it looked for a while like we were going to be, but unfortunately the Red Sox could not hang on yesterday. They drop a 5-4 decision to Houston. Houston wins the series in four games, and the Red Sox season is over, unfortunately. Uh, I, I, I think we're going to spend most of the day talking about the Red Sox. Well, we'll talk about the game yesterday first, and we'll, we'll kind of dissect that. We'll talk a little bit more about the season as a whole, because I have some thoughts on it. Uh, as to where they, they 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 did well, where they could improve, and certainly we'll 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 take a first early look ahead to next season, and you could see a Red Sox clubhouse that looks a lot different next year, or you might not. You could see one that looks a lot a, a lot similar to what you have this year. But uh, in any event, let's start with the game itself. Um, if you were watching it, and I can't blame you can't blame you very much if you did not. That that's Major League Baseball's fault. Uh, for waiting so long to slot the game at uh, 1.08 in the afternoon yesterday, uh, or 2.08, whatever it was, 130, 1.08, 1.30, something along those lines, after the, the Yankees series uh, was continued last night. But in any event, uh, if you saw the game, you kind of know what happened. Houston scored in the first inning again against Rick Porcello. They scored single runs in the first and second. Uh, the Red Sox got a run back on a Xander Bogarts solo home run in the bottom of the first. They then loaded the bases with nobody out in the bottom of the second and did not score. They went strikeout, strikeout, flyout. And let's start right there with, with the bottom of that second inning because they go down looking. <clears throat> they load the bases with nobody out. Jackie Bradley comes up, takes runs the count at 2-1, and one, takes a 2-1 and one pitch that I thought was very clearly a ball, although, you know, pitched, the, the, the sophisticated computer system for MLB.com suggested otherwise. If you looked at it from across the view, like like, uh, like, like TBS had it, it did look like it grazed the kneecap. I thought it was low and in. In any event, it was taken for a strike. And then he took a 2-2 two and two pitch that, to me, was even worse than the first one. That looked very clearly outside. A slider that uh, that Charlie Morton tried to backdoor, and he got the call. He punched Jackie Bradley was punched out on a 2-2 two and two pitch that, again, I, I thought was very clearly outside. Wagner called it a strike. That sets everybody off. So, two, so there's one out, bases loaded. Dustin Pedroia comes up. And almost the exact same thing happens. He runs the count to two and two, uh, takes a slider. This was a front door slider. He came in a slider on the inner half of the plate, took that for strike three. It was close. I thought it was a ball as well. Uh, the software seemed to indicate it may have gotten the inside corner. In any event, Pedroia was irate and uh, started going off on the home plate umpire, Mark Wegner. Uh, John Farrell comes running out of the dugout uh, to try to get Pedroia away. I mean, Pedroia didn't shut up. He was still going. So Farrell essentially picked up the fight for him and got himself tossed. Uh, 
which quite frankly is an admirable managerial move uh, to sacrifice yourself because if, if he doesn't come out and if he doesn't pick up that fight for Pedroia, Pedroia's getting rung. I mean, Pedroia could have gotten rung really quick. It was... I, I actually found it somewhat admirable by Mark Wagner after a couple of strikes that were anything but not to ring up Pedroia and throw him out of the game because he quite frankly deserved it. Uh... He was going, I mean, Pedroia went off on on Wagner after that strike call. And Farrell came out, did the right thing, got between him and and Wagner and and essentially took the heat, not took the heat for himself, just picked up the fight and started screaming at Wagner after that. Uh, So he got himself thrown out. Uh, Xander Bogarts comes up next and flies out to right, and that was that. Um, Just a, a big waste of an opportunity for the Red Sox, and it would come back to haunt them. They would later take the lead. Uh, if you watched, if you watched it, uh, Porcello went three innings, uh, only gave up the two runs, was shaky throughout his outing. They put Chris Sale in the game on three days rest. He pitched pretty darn well until the eighth inning. We're gonna get there. Uh, the lead was two to one for Houston into the fifth inning, when Justin Verlander came into the game in relief of Charlie Morton and promptly served up a two-run homer to Andrew Benintendi which put the Red Sox in front 3-2. to two. That was where the lead stood until the top of the eighth inning. Uh, Sale was in fourth inning, fifth inning. He pitched four innings, was pretty darn good in those four innings. Did seem to tire a little bit in the seventh. He, he seemed to start losing a little bit of location. Uh, did get a strikeout, a very big strikeout of Marwin Gonzalez to end that inning. But in the top of the eighth inning, the second pitch he threw to Alex Bregman left the building. He tried to go two chains up, change-ups to Bregman, left the second one over the heart of the plate, and Bregman didn't miss it. That tied the score at three. Sale then uh, gave up another hit to Yuli Gurriel, who's been, who was just who just terrorized. Or was that Evan Gaddis? I think it was Evan Gaddis. I apologize. I mean, Yuli, Louis, Yuli Gurriel did terrorize the Red Sox in the series, but the hit was to Evan Gaddis, a close one over the third base bag. A pinch runner came in, uh, and uh, he got a couple of outs, but could not get the last one. He was pitched, he was lifted from the game. Craig Kimbrell was brought in, and with uh, with two outs, or maybe one out in the top of the eighth, and as soon as Kimbrell came into the game, unfortunately, the, the only thing I could think was he doesn't have it. He couldn't locate his fastball, uh, he had no faith in being able to throw his fastball for a strike or in the spot that he wanted it. He was relying almost exclusively on his slider, and when Craig Kimbrell is doing that, you're playing with fire. And he, in fact, served up a slider, and eventually he, he serves up a slider that Josh Reddick is able to slap into left field for a base hit. Uh, the runners were going to play their runners on first and second at that point. The pinch runner, Cameron Maben, scored easily. The Astros took the lead. Top of the ninth, they added a run after, again, Kimbrell just really, really struggled in this game. Couldn't continue not to be able to locate his fastball. Gave out a free pass and eventually gave up a, a Fenway double with two outs to Carlos Beltran, who was pinch hitting on, I think, a 3-2 and two pitch. Uh, got a piece of the wall and scored a run in the top of the ninth. That ended up being really important because Rafael Devers, led off the bottom of the ninth with an inside-the-park home run that seemed to jolt the Fenway crowd a little bit, but they couldn't get anything done after that. And the game ended with a ground ball to second base from Dustin Pedroia, 
and so went the Red Sox season. They finish outside the they 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 get one more win than they did last year in the American League Divisional Series, but nevertheless they finish outside the American League Championship Series for the second year in a row. Uh, it's not a result that was altogether unexpected uh, when you when you considered the Astros all season long and you considered the Red Sox all season long. The Astros were just a better team from start to finish than the Red Sox were. It wasn't particularly close. Even uh, considering the, the, the Astros' late season swoon, they, they went into a, a slump in, like I said, mid-August, late August, something like that, that really brought them back. It actually allowed Cleveland to pass them for the best record in the American League. But season-long and overall just composure of the team, pitching staff, certainly the lineup. Houston was just a better team than the Red Sox were all season, and they proved it in this series. They outplayed the Red Sox with the exception of the late innings of Game 3 and some of Game 4, which was a good game. I mean, the Red Sox gave them a good game in Game 4. Just couldn't put them away. The Houston lineup's relentless uh, and, and just kept after the Red Sox pretty much all game, but Houston was the better team in the series. They deserve to win. They now go to the ALCS. They don't know who their opponent is yet because the Yankees once again staved off elimination last night. They won 7-3 over Cleveland. That series goes back to Cleveland now for Game 5, and the Yankees have to feel pretty good about themselves. They should have won Game 2. This series should be over. They had an 8-3 lead in Game 2 that they gave back. If they had hung on to that 8-3 lead, this series would be over and the Yankees would be in the ALCS. So the Yankees have to feel good about themselves at this point. As for this game, uh, it is difficult to kind of pin this on anything other than an inability to come up in the clutch and just an inability to hold this, this Houston lineup down for long. Like I said, I, Kimbrell did not have it yesterday. He picked a bad time not to have it, but... He didn't have his fastball. You could tell that as soon as he came into the game. He didn't lack for velocity. I mean, he, he throws hard, but it's not hard. It's not that difficult to throw a baseball hard. What is difficult, and what he's done really all, he's done this very, very well all year, is to command that fastball and to be able to throw it in spots where you want to throw it. And that's what Kimbrell could not do yesterday. He just, he did not have the location on his fastball yesterday. So Houston hitters were smart. They laid off it. They waited for balls that they could hit. His slider did not have the, I mean, it doesn't have the same bite any, it's not the same pitch anyway as his fastball was. But he was using his slider to throw strikes and, and you know, more like get me over sliders than get you out sliders. And uh, Houston was patient. They sat back. They waited for it. If you, if you, if you saw the Beltran at bat, it was a classic veteran at bat by Beltran. Just waited, fouled off pitches, fouled off pitches waited on that slider, didn't try to do too much with it, and knocked it off the wall. Uh, so, you know, that's the unfortunately, that's the key. I mean, it, it's, tough to, it's tough to criticize Craig Kimbrell uh, after a, a season in which he's really been very, very good for the Red Sox. I mean, the guy had not allowed an inherited runner to score since June. It, he, he picked a bad time for that to happen, picking up Chris Sale in the eighth inning yesterday. Uh, I mean, he's entitled to a bad outing here or there. You just don't want it to be in Game 4 of the American League Divisional Series when you're facing elimination. Unfortunately, that's what it was. And, you know, Sale gives up the home run. He actually, Chris Sale actually takes the loss in this game, which shows you 
the fallacy and the ridiculousness of the baseball win and loss stat because Justin Verlander got the win and Justin Verlander gave up the biggest, most, you know, which it would have been the most pivotal hit in the game had the Astros not rallied, obviously, in the eighth and ninth innings. He gives up, he comes in, he really didn't have much either. I mean, if you compare the stuff that Verlander had in this game to the stuff that Sale had in this game, Sale was far better. Far better on three days rest. I mean, he began to tire in the seventh inning, yes, but Sale was the far better pitcher in this game than Verlander was in their relief appearances. So the fact that Verlander wins the game and Sale loses it shows you just the, the fallacy and, and the, the ludicrousness of, of, of the win-loss stat and how it doesn't mean that much. But uh, in any event, Sale does take the loss. I mean, you can. everybody is pointing to the decision... Whether that was you know by Gary DeSarcina or by Farrell from the tunnel, I'm sure it was from by, by Farrell from the locker room uh, after he'd gotten thrown out to thr to put Sale back in the game for this for the eighth inning after he had shown signs of of tiring, even though he didn't allow a run in the seventh. I was okay with that decision, honestly. I, I did not mind putting Sale back in that game. He had been pretty good. All things considered, he was showing signs of tiring, but he was past the meat of the, 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 the Houston lineup. He was going to face a guy in Alex Bregman who had gotten him for a home run in game one, but you know he had gotten Bregman out with ease the last time he had faced him. Bregman hadn't done a lot in that game anyway. Uh, you can question the pitch, the pitch selection if you want, but I, I did not mind leaving Sale in that game for the eighth inning. What I did mind... And this is this is my problem with with how managers use bullpens in the playoffs as a whole. When Sale began to get tired, I did mind, and I would not have gone to Craig Kimbrell there. I would have gone to Alice Addison Reed. I don't know why you don't go to Addison Reed in that scenario instead of Craig Kimbrell, especially in a tie game. I mean, I realize Kimbrell needed to pitch. I, I realize he he was fresh and he hadn't pitched in a while. Uh, but Reed had been warming. Reed was ready to go. He was amped up. The eighth inning is his inning. That's why you got Addison Reed. Um, and in a tie game, I think you get Reed in there, and then you put some. You know, you pitch Kimbrel in the ninth. And I don't know if that would have changed anything. Uh, you know, ha having Kimbrel thrown a bunch of pitches in the in the eighth inning may have tired him even more in the ninth. Uh, but yeah, I would have gone Reed there instead of Kimbrel. And, I mean, that's that's the only move that really sticks out to me. And and, and I don't know, again, I, I don't know if that would have changed the game anyway because, you know, Kimbrell gives up the run in the ninth inning and and they lose the game anyway. Uh, but, you know, it, I have this big problem with the way managers manage in the playoffs. And it, it seems like everybody except for Terry Francona does this. I mean, Francona knows that he's got pitchers back there. And he's not afraid to use his setup guys in relief. I mean, it seems like a lot of other managers are afraid to use their setup guys. And, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if they like setup guys, they only use one or two. And, and, you know, closers get routinely used for two innings in the playoffs. I, you know, I, this is why you went out and traded for Addison Reed to pitch the eighth inning of a close game. You know, I said it last year in the playoffs for the Cubs. I mean, you know, it seemed like Madden, I mean, the Cubs won the World Series, so you, you can't criticize it too much. But it seemed like Joe Madden 
was afraid to use his setup guys down the stretch. I mean, he, he especially in Game Seven. I mean, he put a very clearly tired Aroldis Chapman into Game, you know, to the eighth inning of, of of Game Seven, and it very nearly cost them the World Series. You know, this is why you go get setup guys. This is why you have, you know, you you, you pay these guys a lot of money to pitch, you know, pressure packed situations. And the Cubs had those guys. I mean, they had they had Pedro Strope, they had Hector Rondon. You know, if you don't use them early in the playoffs, it's, you're going to lose them later on because their confidence is going to be shot. So this is the round where you've got to establish, you know, a guy like Addison Reed in the eighth inning, where you've got to establish a guy like, you know, then they did establish a guy like David Price. I'll give him credit for that. But, you know, th- this is the, this is where you have to do that. The Yankees have done a pretty good job of that. Although, you know, David Robertson gave up a home run to Jay Bruce in, in Cleveland that tied the game, but at least the Yankees aren't afraid to go to those guys in front of Chapman. You know, they weren't afraid to go to it in Game 3. You know, they weren't afraid to go to them again last night after a good start by Severino. You know, you gotta be, you, you got to be comfortable going to those 8th inning guys in the playoffs, especially early on, because, like I said, you're, if you don't go to them in these early rounds, if you're relying on your closer for two innings all the way through, you're going to lose them. You're going to shot, you know, their, their confidence is going to be shot later on in the playoffs. So that was the only, that was the only decision I didn't like. I, I would have gone, I didn't mind putting Sale back out there in the seventh, but if I, if, when he started to tire, I would not have gone to Kimbrell. I would have gone to Addison Reed. And again, I don't know if that would have changed much in the grand scheme of things. With respect to Farrell getting tossed, Again, I, I think this is what he had to do. You can say, and the comparison will be drawn between him and A.J. Hinch because Jose Altuve got rung on a slider, which I thought was a strike by Chris Sale in the seventh inning, and he didn't like it. He had some words for Wagner, too. And, and A.J. Hinch came out there and, and essentially just got between Altuve and, and, and Wagner and didn't say anything, just brought Altuve back to the, back to the dugout. So inevitably, the, the comparisons between Farrell and Hinch are going to get drawn. I mean, Hinch, you know, Hinch did it the right way. He didn't get didn't get wrong. And Farrell yelled, and he got he got thrown out. You know, I, I think getting thrown out was the only thing that John Farrell could do at that point because if he didn't, then Petroya was going to. He needed to take up that fight because Petroya kept yelling at Wagner even after he even after Farrell got out there and got in between them. I mean, Petroya was still yelling. He was gonna get wrong. It was just a matter of time. It's, you know, it was just a matter of time. If if Farrell had not gone out there and 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 picked up the cause for Pedroia, Pedroia would have gotten thrown out of that game. And with Nunez hurt, I mean, it's not like they would have been uncomfortable going to Brock Holt to play second base. But you don't want your leader Dustin Pedroia out of the game. He, he's he's too important. I know he's playing hurt, but he's too important to the overall fabric of the team. You got to protect your guy in that scenario. I actually, I actually think Farrell should be applauded for that, for going out there and, and taking one for the team so Pedroia could stay in. You know, otherwise, you know, it's it's unfortunate that the, that the Red Sox two best pitchers just just could not hold that lead. You know, Sale started to tire, and and Kimbrel, who's been good all season, it's just it's just unfortunate. But oh well, it, it was a it was a not not a bad season. But let's talk let's talk about what kind of a season it was for the Red Sox overall. I have been critical of the Red Sox overall season basically since it started. 
And if I had to put a grade on this year for the Red Sox, I don't think I'd go above a B. I mean, I'm thinking B minus, quite frankly. This is a team that underachieved all season. I hate to say it, right? I really hate to say that. But if you look up and down the Red Sox roster this year, if you look up and down their roster at the beginning of the year and then at the end, and of course it changed a lot at the deadline. They got Eduardo Nunez and they got Addison Reed, both of whom you know, performed pretty well for them overall. But if you look up and down that roster as it started in, in, in April, how many guys actually overachieved on this team? How many players overachieved based on what they thought, what, what you thought you were going to get out of them? Off the top of my head, I can think of maybe two. Off the top, maybe three. I'll take that back. One is Craig, Kim, Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell was great all season all season. He, he, he was terrific. He was better than he was last year. He needed to be better than he was last year, and he was. He overachieved. Yesterday's performance notwithstanding, he was a better pitcher this year than was expected, and I'd say Kimbrell unquestionably overachieved. Christian Vasquez overachieved. Christian Vasquez should, and I, you know, I'd say again should, be your number one catcher next year. If you want to bring back Sandy Leone in the backup role, I won't have much of a problem with that. But Christian Vasquez showed that not only can he handle a pitching staff, they like throwing to him, he can throw, he also can hit a little bit. He also hit a little. You know, I think Christian Vasquez for certain overachieved. But honestly, other, other than Kimbrell and Vasquez, the other guy I would say would be Benintendi. I don't think Ben Benintendi, but I, I mean, I would say he had about the rookie season you would kind of expect it out of him. He probably overachieved compared to rel relative expectations. He had a very good rookie season. He, I don't know if it was necessarily an overachievement. It may have been a slight overachievement, but I mean, he'd be very clearly third in line for me behind Kimbrell and, and Vasquez in terms of out, you know, outperforming their their expectations. Giving him, giving you him. Other than those three, what player on the Red Sox roster outperformed expectations this year? Drew Pomeranz, maybe. Maybe I'll give you Drew Pomeranz. You know, he had a very good season. You expected a bounce back year for him. I don't know if you expected that big of a bounce back. So I'll give you Drew Pomeranz as well. Sale, you expected to be an ace. He was. The rest of the pitching staff woefully, woefully underperformed. Price was great out of the bullpen, but you're not paying him $30 million a year to be in the bullpen. You're paying him $30 million a year to be an ace. He got hurt, never got it back. Porcello was awful. Awful. I don't need to get into that. Coming off a Cy Young season. I mean, you thought you had three aces coming into this year in the starting rotation. You thought you had three. Sale, Porcello, and Price were going to be terrific. Given what Pomeranz gave you, if, 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 if Porcello and Price pitched like number twos or number threes this year, the Red Sox rotation would have been unbelievable. As it was, they had to kind of guess all the way through the year. The bullpen, again, outside of, of, of Kimbrel, by the end of the year, it was certainly a strength because Price was there, 
You had traded for Addison Reed. Carson Smith came back and gave you some good innings. But outside of those guys, who in the bullpen was good? Besides besides Kimbrell. Besides Kimbrell. Who in the bullpen was good? Matt Barnes was not that good. You know, Keith Hembry, not that good. Blaine Boyer, not that good. Robbie Scott was okay. Okay. You know, did pretty well against lefties. But, you know, again, and, and, and look at the lineup. I mean, who in that lineup outperformed? Mookie Betts was good. He was down from last season. You know? Everybody else was, was at or, or below what you expected. You know, I guess I guess the other guy you could say would be Mitch Moreland. You know, relative relative to his contract. I mean, I guess you could say Moreland Moreland outperformed it. You know, for five million dollars, you got pretty good production out of Moreland. But you know, don't forget, he started off really well. In the middle of the season, he couldn't hit anything. And, you know, he had a lot of doubles. Had some, you know, 20 home runs. He got good production out of Moreland. I, I would not say that he significantly overperformed. But I guess I'll give you Moreland. So, Kimbrell for certain. Vasquez for certain. I'll give you Pomeranz. And maybe Benintendi, maybe Moreland. That's it. For a team that was coming off... A, a division win and a division crown. And they won the division again. That is to be congratulated. You know, it's tough to win your division. It's tough to win it two years in a row. The Red Sox got it done this year. So it's not a bad season. You know, they, they, they came together. They played well. But man, it just it, it seems like they just really underperformed what they could have been. And I know they didn't have David Ortiz... It's the first time in 14 years they played without David Ortiz. You know, that you, you lost a franchise icon, and it's difficult to recover from that, and it's certainly difficult to replace the production that he brought in the last year of that deal. But it seemed like they could have been more than this. It just It, it seemed like they had a team that, that could have been significantly better than they were. And they look, they won 90 games and they won the American League division, you know, the American League East. So it, it's not like they were a bad team. They were not. They were a good team. But they were not a great team. And it, and it felt like they could have been better. I mean, it felt like that pitching staff, the, the way the pitching staff had been assembled at the beginning of the year and the way that, you know, as good as the defense was, and it was good pretty much all season, there are spots where it could improve. I mean, Devers could certainly improve his defense down there at third, but as good as their defense was and as good as their pitching was, I thought that this team was going to be more than it was. And it, it just it, it felt like they came up short of that. You know, I, I don't know if they were going to be as good of a team as Houston anyway or as good of a team as, as Cleveland has, but, you know, it, it, and it doesn't get any easier for them in the future because guess who's right behind them and getting better I mean the Yankees are the, the Yankees should not be as good as they are right now Yankees are a year ahead of schedule if not two years ahead of schedule I mean they've got all these young guys who are really playing well and you know I would say the Yankees significantly overachieved this year significantly overachieved 
And, you know, they're still playing, obviously. They, 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 they may get knocked out on Wednesday, but they may be in the ALCS. I mean, the Yankees are not going anywhere. They're not. The Yankees are going to look different next year, for certain. They've got some free agents there. They've got some decisions to make. But you know the Yankees are going to spend money to get better if they can. You know, if there's a pitcher out there, the Yankees will be in play for them. And so it's not like the division is, is going to take a back seat. The rest of the division had down years this year. I mean, you know, Toronto had a really just a horrible season after some really good ones. Baltimore did not have a good season. And maybe looking for a manager. That's the latest report out of Baltimore. So the division is going to come back. I think the Red Sox are going to get better too. I think they know the areas that they have to improve. So I, I, I think the Red Sox will get will be a better team in the in the in the or at least on paper in April than they were at the end of this season. I think they know what they have to do, but I think the rest of the division is going to get better as well. So you know it'll be interesting to see what they look like against what the Yankees look like at the beginning of next season. Let's uh, let's let's take a look quickly, but you know, before we end this podcast, and again, I apologize to the Bruins fans out there, but there's not much to talk about there either. If you're a big Bruins fan, they were humbled yesterday, four to nothing, by the Avalanche at home. So after 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 a pretty promising season opening win, they they were really bad yesterday, losing four to nothing, uh, giving up a shorthanded goal in the process. So uh, there's not much Bruins to talk about there anyway. Let's let's end it by talking about where the Red Sox can improve. Uh, and what they can think about doing next year. I, I think first and foremost, the Red Sox need to bring in some power. And I, I you know, cute, the, the the chasm between the Astros lineup and the Red Sox lineup was striking. And, and you know, the chasm between Houston's lineup and most other lineups in Major League Baseball is going to be striking anyway. But the Astros have guys one through nine that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They can all, they're all threats to take the ball out of the ballpark, pretty much. The Red Sox had maybe three, you know, consistent guys all through the year who were threats to take the ball out of the ballpark. Mookie, you know, Hanley when he was right, and he wasn't right pretty much all season. Benintendi to some extent, Orland to some extent, not consistently. I mean, the Astros have guys, you put them up there and, and, and you think to yourself, oh boy, i got to be careful because if I'm not, he's going to take this ball out. The Red Sox didn't really have those guys. They have some good hitters, but they, they need pieces. They, they need someone in there who's a threat to hit the ball over the monster. And the problem is there's not going to be that many of those guys available in the offseason. Um, I, I, I was on record last year. I thought the Red Sox really could have used Edwin Encarnacion. I was surprised they didn't make a harder push for him. Um, they pro- their, their defense certainly would have suffered because they wouldn't have brought in Mitch Moreland. And Mitch, like I said, Moreland played well for them. I don't think Moreland is coming back next season. I think Moreland is his play. I mean, he just outperformed a, a $5.5 million one-year contract. I think he gets a multi-year deal somewhere. I don't think it's in Boston. Especially not with with who's behind him. I mean, Sam Travis is behind him. Michael Chavis is coming as well. Who, who, you know, you could eventually maybe move Devers over to first base if you think Chavis is better defensively. 
I don't think Moreland is going to get a multi-year contract to stay in Boston, so I don't think he's coming back. And they could use some power in the lineup. I don't know who that is at this point. The free agent market, I mean, they may have to wait for 20 for, for next season for that because the free agent market in 2018 is stacked. Um, but they need someone who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, the guy everybody is talking about who would be a perfect fit on this team, in, you know, from a hitting standpoint anyway, is Giancarlo Stanton. And everybody is talking about the Red Sox being players on him. I mean, it sounds like the Marlins are going to trade him. They got a new ownership group down there. Jeter obviously is leading the leading things down there now. And it sounds like they're going to trade him. I don't know if the Red Sox match up all that well as a trade partner with 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 the Marlins unless I mean are are you ready to trade Andrew Benintendi? You know, you're ready to trade Mookie Betts because that's what's that's what it's going to take. You know, they don't have the young guys anymore in the minor leagues that are that are really going to match up all that well with 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 what the with what the Marlins would be looking for for Giancarlo Stanton. You don't have to. You're not going to have to trade them all that much because you know because they have such a massive contract. I mean, that's going to be the big bargaining bargaining chip there. Is 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 Stanton's contract? If the Red Sox want to do that, but I mean, you're going to have to give up. That's Bradley, Benintendi, maybe like Christian Vasquez, somebody like that. You know, maybe Devers. You're going to have to give up somebody young who's already established to go get Jordan Carlos Stan. And that's just the start. So I don't know if the Red Sox really match up all that well. But there's number one. Number two, you got to solidify the bullpen in front of, in, in, in front of, of Kimbrell. And if Addison Reed comes back, you've done that. If Carson Smith is healthy, you've done that. David Price is not in the bullpen next year. He's in the rotation again, uh, which leads me to number three. You need more consistency out of the rotation. You've got the pieces. I mean, Chris Sale's there. Drew Pomerantz is there for another season. You need Price to come back as a really good starter. You need Porcello to come back as a really good starter. And you need more consistency consistency out of Eduardo Rodriguez. You get that, you got a really good team again. You know, so in in the offseason and on the free agent scrap, they need someone who can really hit, who can hit with power. If they get that, I think you'll feel really good about this team again in April. So that's the unfortunate end of the show for, for today. My thanks to all the listeners out there. Uh, thanks to the Red Sox for giving us something to talk about. I don't know what we're going to do with ourselves for the next uh, several months on this podcast. we got no Red Sox to talk about. But obviously, once we get into the free agent and trade season, uh, there'll be a lot of Red Sox coverage and, and, and rumors to kind of go over for the Red Sox. So they won't leave us alone in the offseason. And we'll occupy our time. We'll talk a lot more Bruins now that the Red Sox are done. We'll talk a lot more Celtics. We gotta do a do we gotta do a Celtics preview soon because they're starting up next week. We gotta get into the Patriots game against the Jets this weekend. We will start doing that tomorrow. Uh, until then, make it a great day, everybody. Sorry that the Red Sox leave you disappointed, but the, the, you know life goes on. There'll be another season in April, and uh, we will continue with all the sports coverage this fall on the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. For now, it's Mike Lyon signing off. Have a great day, everyone. We will see you tomorrow morning.